this week was fun. We, we had a big event yesterday. We played some football, had some games at the park, at Central Park, and some candy for the kids. Anybody who played football sore? I saw Brian limping in here this morning. <laughs> no, it was good. It was a great game. We had a lot of fun, a little sore. Um, but I'm glad for those of you guys who took a part in that um, because the community is a real big part of what we do here. We want you to get plugged in. Okay, so this is also a really big week in the life of our nation, right? We know that this is a big week. It's election week. So we want everybody to be praying in our church. We are commanded in 1 Timothy to pray for kings, those in authority. So since we're commanded to do it, we got to do it. Um, for us, it's not a king. It's a president that we can vote in or out every four years, and that's coming up. So we have some special things. Not only do we want to encourage everybody to do it, we're going to have a special time of prayer in just a second, but we actually have a special prior time this Tuesday at 1 p.m. We have a prayer for the nation this Tuesday at 1 p.m. Kenton Chan, one of our elders here, is going to be leading that in our parking lot. So we want you to put that on your schedule, plan on it, even if you're watching online. Hey, just come at 1 p.m., 1 to 1.30. We're going to have a group of people praying in the parking lot, distanced with masks on, but we're all going to be praying for that half hour. I want you to commit to do that. If you can't physically be here, maybe even just say, hey, I'm going to set that on my alarm. I'm going to pray for that half hour for our nation. We're going to do that. We encourage you to do that. Also, our prayer team um, is starting to meet again on Monday nights now, Monday night over Zoom, okay? Our prayer team is great because the, I, I always say if anything good happens in our church, it's because the prayer team was praying for it. <laughs> really, I mean, it's the truth. It really is. So I want you guys to join our prayer team. They're going to be starting up this Monday night on Zoom. We'll get the link out to you if you're interested. Be looking for that, and they'll be meeting every single Monday night to pray for our nation. It, well, this week, and then I'm sure they'll be praying for all sorts of other stuff. So um, let's take this moment right now. Let's all just pray. Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray for our country. Lord God, you have commanded us to pray for our country, to pray especially for those in authority. So we pray this week uh, not only that Donald Trump would finish his term in office well, but that whoever is going to be president um, elected this Tuesday, Lord, that you would put the right person in office. We believe that you are sovereign even over kings, that you put kings into power and you tear them down. And Lord God, so we ask that you would put the right person into power this Tuesday that would lead our nation well. We pray that you'd help our whole nation exit out of this coronavirus pandemic, keep people healthy, uh, protect our nation. And Lord God, just provide uh, with those who are in uh, authority, whether it's in governmental institutions or schools or in the medical field, Lord God, that you'd give them wisdom to know how to interact, to, to, to figure out which type of policies to enact and procedures to implement, Lord. Give them wisdom. Um, we pray, Lord, for our nation, too, where there is unrest, where there is um, conflict, where there's even violence. We pray that you bring peace. Use us as agents of peace in this world to bring reconciliation to the world, that we would be the peacemakers, because blessed are the peacemakers. Lord God, we also pray we know that half of our nation, either way, is going to be quite upset come Tuesday that they'll feel like the wrong person got voted in and everybody else is foolish for voting for them. But I pray that you'd make us agents of peace with that as well, that we would show kindness and love to those we disagree with, even our political enemies. Would you make us the light to this world to be different than the rest of the world, not with animosity, but with love, and that that love would cover over so many multitudes of sins. I pray that you'd use us and bring peace to our nation and prosperity as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this is the final week in our series, At Our Core. At the end of the message, we'll show a little promo for the next series coming up. It's really good. You're going to want to come back next week for sure. 
But this at our core series, we've been going through our seven core values that we are, are now unveiling. Some of them are brand new. Some of them are just adapted. Um, but this last one is perhaps the most confusing, as I've told other people to. People think all sorts of things about it, and I realize I'm going to have to teach a lot in this message. You guys are going to have to focus. Okay, pay attention as we teach it this week, really, maybe take some notes so that we understand what it means, multiplication mindset. But before we dive in there, I want to just do a quick review so we do have all these seven core values down. Of course, we're going to continue to talk about them in the weeks and months and years ahead. But that first core value that we went over in this series was transformational teaching, that we teach God's word accurately and relevantly to transform lives. Second, uh, Sawyer Trapp, our, our associate pastor who you saw up here, he, he taught about vibrant community, that we are real with each other to grow together. That's why community groups are so important here. Get in a community group. Our community, this group this week, even though we were over Zoom, I felt like really opened up and we were able to talk about some real cool things. And, and it was really cool that we can open up even though we are not physically together, though some groups still are physically together. But we are real with each other. That's what we were this week, real with each other to grow together. Next, we talked about bold outreach, outreach that we are boldly sent to seek and love the lost. We've got to be bold. We've got to stand out. This Christmas, we have a really cool, bold outreach that we've been starting to work on this last week. I'm excited about it, and I think you guys are going to be too. So get, get, get excited for that. We're going to be bold this year and reach people even in a pandemic. Next, we talk about generous living, that we gladly give our time, talents, and treasures to serve God and one another. Next, Ariel and Sawyer co-taught about next-gen inve investment that we prioritize families and the next generation to make disciples who make disciples. And finally, or I'm sorry, last week we talked about passionate worship. There's one more. Passionate worship, that we worship Jesus authentically to glorify God and captivate the unchurched. And today we're going to be looking at our multiplication mindset, that we pursue multiplication over addition to see the kingdom of God grow exponentially. So what is that? multiplication mindset. What do we mean by it? Do you guys remember Billy Graham? I hope that you guys do. One of the most important Christian figures of the last hundred years of our lifetime. I uh, had just the privilege of going to hear him speak at one of the very last times he ever preached. And it was in 2006, right after Hurricane Katrina. I went with a team of people from college, from CSU, down to, to clean up in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. And then he had a big rally that week. And I went, and even though he was in a wheelchair, man, it was powerful. Billy Graham was just a phenomenal preacher. And he shared just the simple good news of Jesus, that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins, to make a way to us to have peace with God and forgiveness and eternal life. And it's such a powerful message that tens and hundreds and thousands and millions of people accepted Christ because of Billy Graham sharing the good news with them in arenas. And he did, had such an impact on our nation and on our world. He died, of course, two years ago. Um, but one of the things that a lot of people don't know about Billy Graham is that early on in his ministries, in the very early 50s, he actually um, was concerned in fact, he would have dreams, he would have nightmares in, at night about the people that he led to Christ, what happened to them after that. Not that where they would be for eternity, but what would ha happen for the rest of their lives. And there's a story, and I read about this years ago, I tried to track it down this week and I couldn't find it. Um, maybe somebody can help me out with that. But um, when Billy Graham was early on in his ministry, he was in England for a big event. And while he was there, his driver was driving him to the event and he shared the Gospel, of course, with his driver. I mean, that's what Billy Graham would do, right? And at the end of the drive, this, this driver accepted the good news of Jesus Christ, became a follower of Jesus. Awesome. Billy Graham led this guy into eternity. Well, the very next year, same time, Billy Graham came 
to another event in England. And as he was driving to the event, of course, he shared the good news with his driver, because <laughs> that's what he does. He told the good news to this driver, and at the end of it, he said, well, would you like to accept this good news and become a follower of Jesus? And the driver says, yes, just like I did last year. Yeah, right? And it turns out this was the exact same driver Billy Graham had had a year prior. And so Billy Graham started to ask him some questions. Well, tell me what's changed in your life over the last year. The guy said, well, nothing. I mean, now he knows that he's going to spend eternity with Jesus, but nothing had changed in his life. He hadn't got plugged in in church. He hadn't been growing in his faith or reading the Bible. So Billy Graham really was praying about it, worried about it, concerned, having these nightmares. What, what are happening to these people who are coming to faith? And that's when he reached out to another guy named Dawson Trotman. And he had to beg Dawson Trotman three different times. He pleaded with him before Dawson Trotman would come help him because Dawson Trotman kind of did the exact opposite of what Billy Graham was doing at that point. Billy Graham would, of course, preach to thousands of people in huge crowds, huge arenas. But Dawson Trotman would focus on one or two or just a few people. And he would spend a lot of time with these people, praying with them, encouraging them, um, teaching them how to read the Bible for themselves, how to memorize scripture. And then what he would do is he'd change, take those people and lead them to lead others so that they started to do the same with other people. He started an organization now called The Navigators, and it was an organization I was actually part of in college that helped me grow in my faith, and he also helped others. In the first series, Barry Brandt was here. The Navigators were huge in his ministry. Kathy Buchanan, who's a part of our church, worked on staff at The Navigators for a while because this ministry has said, hey, we're, we're not going to focus on the crowds. We're going to focus on the few. We're going to go small, and what happened is they have actually had just as big, perhaps bigger of an influence in our world than Billy Graham did. And in fact, Billy Graham knew that, and that's why he asked Dawson Trotman in the early 50s, come help me with what they called follow-up. People have now accepted Jesus. What do they do next? And the Navigators helped develop materials for the Billy Graham Evangelist Association to make them even more effective leading people to Christ. And even just a couple years ago, we, we baptized Scarlett, who's a part of our church, who serves a lot of times in the booth, because Scarlett had found Jesus through the Billy Graham Evangelist Association online, and they got her plugged in here, which is cool, right? Um, so that they are doing that now. They're saying, hey, we've got to take people not just to accept Christ and, and make heaven more crowded, which is awesome. <laughs> we want to do that, but let's also help them to grow so that they can lead others to follow Jesus. See, that's the multiplication mindset at work. Dawson Trotman the founder of The Navigators, once said uh, that the primary fruit of a Christian is another Christian. That's the goal. It's not just, hey, you're in heaven, good, you can live the rest of your life however you want. No, it's to grow because following Jesus not only is the fullest life, but that you can help others find that fullest life and eternity when they die. The primary fruit of a Christian is another Christian, and we want to develop that mindset in every single person in our church. We want this mindset to be in every single person, that every person who's following Jesus sees their role is to help somebody else follow Jesus. And this multiplication mindset, of course, is going to go even bigger than that when we really infuse it into the DNA of who we are as a church. We're going to talk about that today. To do that, we're going to look at one verse, really one verse today. Our primary verse, and I think it's so important for this concept of multiplication how it's lived out, and that is 2 Timothy 2.2. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get there. This is a great verse to highlight, memorize. If you're watching online, open that up in another tab. Please do that. Um, or just pull out your physical Bible while you're watching on a TV or whatever. In 2 Timothy 2.2, and I just want to read this to you. It says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 
Okay, simple verse. It's almost like a verse that we often skip over to get to the, the meat of, of what the teaching is in the Bible. But this verse is so important because what we see there is the multiplication mindset. This letter is, of course, written by Paul. So when it says, the things you have heard me say, this is Paul. He's talking. And Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. So he's the you, Timothy, right? And this letter is one of two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Timothy was a young man who Paul took along to train and mentor him. He took him along on his missionary journeys as Paul went around what is modern-day uh, Turkey and modern-day uh, Greece um, and, and into Europe, into Italy. And Paul took Timothy along on these journeys to learn from him. And then Paul took Timothy and put him in Ephesus to help lead a church there. That's why he wrote 1 Timothy and then 2 Timothy to train this young pastor how to be a pastor. I particularly love these two letters. They're great. So Paul is writing to young Timothy how to be a leader, and he's saying, hey, the things you have heard me say, entrust to reliable people who will also be able to teach others. What's amazing about this verse is that we see four different generations in one verse. We see that Paul is teaching Timothy. Timothy is supposed to find reliable people to teach, and they are supposed to be able and equipped to teach others. Do you see that? And I think Paul could have kept going, right? So that those others can teach others who could teach others who could teach others. It's supposed to keep going on and on and on and on. That's the multiplication mindset. That what you learn is not for you. What you learn is to be taught to others. What you receive is not for you. It's to be passed on to another person. Everything we get is for someone else. Okay, and this takes a major change in our normal human mindset. Because our normal mindset as human beings, let's be honest, is it's about me, right? <laughs> it's about me. But what Paul is teaching, what Jesus taught was it's not about me, it's about the people that we will impact and who they will impact in turn. So I just want you to say that, say that out loud, it's not about me. If you're watching online, type that in, okay, in the comment section. It's not about me, because it's not. It's not about me. It's about who I'm going to pass it on to. Anything that I've learned, so that I can teach others. Anything that I've received is so I can use it to give to others. That's what it's about. So this means our mindset needs to completely change. What we normally do as Christians is, I want to go to a church with a great preacher. Good. I hope that's why you picked this church, right? Okay, no, 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 but that's not the question we should be asking. It shouldn't be, is he a great preacher or is she a great preacher? It should be, is he equipping me to do the ministry I'm called to do? Is the preacher equipping me to do what I'm called to do, right? So that I can take it and pass it on to someone else. It, it, it shouldn't be, am I being fed? Ooh, this is what a lot of Christians say. Oh, I just wasn't fed at that church, okay? I want you to be fed. That's my role as a shepherd is to, to feed you. But I hope that you will be fed so that you can feed someone else. So that's the question. Am I being fed in a way that I can feed others? Okay, it's not about me. It shouldn't ever stop with me. It shouldn't be a cul-de-sac. It should be a connection. Okay, cul-de-sacs, those are comfy. Everybody wants to live in the cul-de-sacs in the suburb, right? Because they're safe. Not as much through traffic, so not as much crime. Not as much people coming through. It's safe. It's quiet. Okay? Cul-de-sacs are not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be connectors. It's a little more dangerous, a little less safe. But we are not cul-de-sacs. We are connection points. We are not the, the conclusion. We are rather conduits. You guys see this? It's supposed to be passed on, to be passed on, to be passed on. This is part of the multiplication mindset. 
there was a pivotal, pivotal night in my early ministry when I was in Nebraska. You know, before coming here to be your pastor, I was a pastor uh, for five years in small town Nebraska. Incredible church. We got there, and it was 60 people over 60. I'm exaggerating a little, but barely, okay? 60 people over 60. It was an older church, and they realized, hey, we've got to reach the younger generation. So Melissa, my wife, she's upstairs watching right now, um, but she helped, you know, get our band started because we went from hymnals and no projector, right, just like an organ and and piano, to having a band. So we were doing some things to reach the next generation. And and one of the things that I did uh, early on my first year was to lead a young men's Bible study. And I pulled like the, the three young men that I found in our church at the time. I'm like, you're coming. And they weren't there when we first got there. But okay, now we got three guys. You're in my Bible study. We went out in the town and I found a few more. Everybody I could find, I was invited to this young men's Bible study. I'm going to reach the next generation, right? And I remember it was like maybe the third week of this Bible study. One guy showed up. What a failure. Here I am doing everything I can to reach people, the young, young people, the next generation. I got one guy who shows up to read the Bible with me. I was so disappointed. I was so discouraged. And I sat there. I didn't even open up the Bible so that we could do what we were going to do. We just started chatting and talking. But I started talking to this young guy, David, and he's actually the same age as me. Um, and, and we started talking about life and about things, and, and we started talking about faith. And at the end of this conversation, I said, well, David, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he said, No. I said, okay, (laughs) well, do you want to? (laughs) You know, that's the question you're supposed to ask, right? Well, do you want to? What's stopping you? And and he said, well, I don't know. Let's do it. I'm ready. I was like, okay. So I gave him this simple prayer. You know, it's a simple prayer that to confess your sins, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and ask the Holy Spirit into your heart that you might follow Jesus for the rest of your life. It's the same prayer I've led people through here dozens, hundreds of times. And I had him repeat that prayer after me, you know, gave him, spoon-fed him the words to pray. And he prayed that prayer and accepted Christ, and it was amazing. But what's even more amazing is that even though I had given him every word to say in that prayer, at the end of the prayer, almost instinctively, he started praying that his wife would come to faith as well. He just knew that what he had received was too good to keep for himself. And he started praying for his wife, Sonny. And what's amazing is in that next year that I was uh, fortunate enough to baptize not only David, but his wife, Sonny, as well. Yeah. And they started inviting their friends and family member to church. I was, did funerals for the family and was able to share the gospel with more people. And even now, David is one of the leaders in that church in Nebraska. I'm texting him this week. Because he knew right at the beginning that this is too good to keep for myself. I want other people to have it. I want to pass it on. And that was so pivotal. That night that, by all accounts, would be a failure. The pastor had one guy show up. Was actually what I was supposed to do. And it was maybe one of the most impactful nights of my ministry. There in Nebraska. See, that's the thing. That when we realize that we've got to go small to go big. That's part of multiplication. That we've got to focus on a few people. Have the mindset say, hey, I'm going to focus on this person. I'm going to be intentional in this person's life. Or in these few people's life, and I'm going to focus on them, and I'm going to care about them, love them, teach them, encourage them, so that they will go pass on what I have given them to others. When we do that, that is the multiplication mindset. And it will have an astronomical impact. That's why Paul said, the things you've heard me say, Timothy, I know you're just a young guy, I know we've just this brand new fledgling faith of Christianity, but you teach it to reliable people, and they will be, in turn, empowered to teach others. And when you do that, it's going to transform the world. And guess what? It did. It did. 
It's the multiplication mindset at work. Now, as I've talked about this, I realize that it's kind of difficult to figure out exactly what this multiplication mindset is. So I have uh, just a way to differentiate it because I feel like as Christians, there are three different types of mindsets. The first one is the retention mindset. The retention mindset. I'm going to have what I have and I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to lose it. I'm going to hold on to it. The retention mindset is good. We want to keep what we've received. We don't want to lose it. Retention mindset is good. The second mindset is the addition mindset. I'm going to add to it. I'm going to add to it. That's even better than the retention mindset, right? Then the multiplication mindset is I'm going to put it to work so that it multiplies even beyond what I can do. Okay? There's the retention mindset, the addition mindset, and the multiplication mindset. We see this in the realm of money, I think, very easily. Say that you got a call from a lawyer and said, hey, your long-lost great-aunt left you a million dollars. You're pretty excited, right? You're saying, I'm going to make sure that I don't waste this money. I'm going to save it. I'm going to put it in the savings account, and I'm going to retain every single one of these dollars so that I have it when I retire. Okay, That's the retention mindset. That's actually good, right? It's much better than wasting it all. right? So you put it in the savings account. After 30 years, if you haven't touched it, haven't messed with it, how much money are you going to have? One million dollars. Hasn't grown, it hasn't shrunk, it might be worth a little less because of inflation, right? But you have your million dollars, right? That's retention mindset. That's good. It's better than wasting it. The addition mindset says, hey, I've received a million dollars, but I'm still young. I can keep working and I can add to it. So I'm going to work hard. I'm not only going to retain the million dollars, but I'm going to start adding $1,000 a month for the next 30 years. Do you know how much money you'd have after 30 years of adding to it like that? $1.5 million. Okay, your, your million dollars has grown by 50%. Addition is better than retention, right? It's pretty obvious. The multiplication mindset sa- says, though, no, I want it to go to work. <laughs> I want it to grow even more. So what they'll do is not only add, not only retain, so they're going to keep their million dollars, not dip into it. They're going to add to it their savings, $1,000 a month, and I'm going to put it to work. I'm going to invest it in the stock market. So say you were able to get a 5% return on that money that you're putting in for 30 years. Do you know how much money you'd have after 30 years? $5 million. That $1 million will have grown fivefold, 500% growth. So young people, this is not just a lesson in investing, okay? <laughs> Although that's good too. But the point is we see it clearly with money, right? To retain is good, to add is better, and to multiply is the best. That's in the money world. What about in the business world? Say you're like, I want to start a business, and I love cheeseburgers. Who doesn't, right? I'm going to make the best cheeseburger there is around. I know exactly the ratio of meat to fat. I know how to smash it on the grill so you get the right amount of grease on that burger. Put the right cheese. Man, I got the best cheeseburgers in town. You start serving them. People love them. You grow your business, and you start making a million dollars a year in revenue. That's a great business, right? The retention mindset says, I'm going to make sure I hold on to these customers. I treat them well. I, I always have the best cheeseburger that's the same every single time. You retain your customers so that 30 years from now, you're still making a million dollars a year. That's good. The addition mindset says, well, if I have one restaurant that's making a million dollars with this size of a dining room, what if I doubled the size of my dining room? I add to it because then I can add customers. The addition mindset says, if I double my restaurant, I can have double the amount of customers. So they do that. They're effective. They do it great. It costs a little money up front. But now they're making $2 million a year in revenue. That's a great business, isn't it? You have just doubled your income. Addition mindset is better than a retention mindset. 
But now the multiplication mindset says, well, what if I can make $2 million a year having expanded my dining room in this one restaurant? What if I then start another restaurant after five years? And then after that, uh, five years later, you're like, those two can now become four, can become eight, can become 16. And every five years you do that, at the end of the 30 years, you have 32 restaurants making $2 million each. You are now making $64 million in revenue a year. That's the best, right? Now, as I bring it into the business world, a lot of you are thinking, well, yeah, but that's really hard to do. It's really challenging. It creates a bunch of hurdles. Of course it does. And that's why most people don't do the multiplication mindset. It's the same thing in the spiritual world. It's hard. It is challenging. There's all sorts of speed bumps and and things stopping things in the way. And that's why people don't do it. But that's what we are called to do. Let's think about it just in the realm of evangelism. That word evangelism means leading someone to faith. Evangel means good news, giving somebody the good news. Now they accept it. They've come to faith. That's evangelism. So evangelism, you see one person. Say they are an incredible evangelist. They're Billy Graham level. And they said, what I'm going to do is make a commitment that I'm going to lead one person to Christ every single day, every day of the week, every day of the year. Okay? 365 people come to faith for this evangelist. That's way better than retention because the retention is just staying with the one Christian there already is, right? Okay, the uh, addition now is adding 365 people a year. After 30 years, there are now 11,000 people who have come to faith through this one evangelist. Incredible, right? If, I, if any one of us had that impact, we would just, I mean, wow, okay? 11,000 people, that's incredible. But what if someone took a multiplication mindset and they said, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to focus on one person a year. I'm going to focus on this one person. I'm going to train them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to teach them the Bible. They're going to memorize scripture. And at the end of the one year, they're going to be able now to lead another person the next year to do the same thing. And then that next year, of course, you can find a new person and that person has someone. So you go from one to two to four to eight to 16, right? You're growing like that. Do you know how many people would have come to faith after 30 years of that focused multiplication mindset? One billion people. Four more years, the entire population of the globe would be followers of Jesus. Ooh. Okay, 11,000 is good, but a billion is the best. Multiplication mindset, that's why someone like Dawson Trotman can have an enormous impact, even though most of you probably had never heard his name unless you've heard me talk about him or were you in the Navigators. But the point is, is that when you do that, and I have this multiplication mindset, it might seem small at first, but it makes so much bigger of an impact from generation to generation to generation as it continues to pass on and be passed on. That's the multiplication mindset at work. And that's what we want to instill in our church. That every single one of us says, it's not just about me, it's about the person I'm going to pass it on to. And then I'm going to make sure that they are able to pass it on to someone else. Herschel Hobbes, the the great pastor, once said that the work of evangelism is never complete until the one evangelized becomes an evangelizer. So I have two questions that I think every person should be able to ask themselves if we really get this multiplication mindset. And it's the question you're going to ask yourself for the rest of your life. One, who am I taking personal responsibility for for their spiritual growth? Who? Who's your one person that you're taking personal responsibility for? Seriously, every single one of us. There's not a a single Christian who cannot take personal responsibility for one other person. And I really want to encourage parents and grandparents to think beyond your family as well. You should focus on your family, but who's the one person maybe outside your family? 
What if each one of us had just one person? And I think most of us could do three or five. But let's start with one, because if you aim for five, you might not get any, right? Let's just start with one. Who's the one person that I'm going to take uh, responsibility for their spiritual life until, and the second question, when do I know I'm done? When that person can lead another person. When I have a spiritual grandchild. So I'm going to take personal responsibility for someone until they are at the point where they are taking personal responsibility for someone else in their spiritual growth. Do you guys see this? Those two questions. Have I taken spiritual responsibility, or I'm sorry, personal responsibility for someone's spiritual growth, and then have they been able to do the same? Okay? That's when we know when we've accomplished. That's the win. When we see that, what happened? When, we, when I see my friend David helping his wife, Sonny, and then their friends are coming to faith, you know? That's what we're talking about, taking personal responsibility for someone until they can take personal responsibility for another person. That's the goal. That's the multiplication mindset. You know, we want to do that as a church. As a church, what we want to do is multiply disciples, people who follow Jesus. We want disciples to become disciple makers, every single one of them, every single one of you. We want to take multiplication of disciple makers. We want to have multiplication of leaders here so that when we raise up leaders for ministry, it's not like, oh, we got that spot plug. No, so that they can actually raise up another leader so that now we can have two ministries, okay? We, we see that especially in community groups. We uh, have our community groups. We want them to grow. We want to add people to our community groups, right? But then once they get pretty big, we're like, okay, what do we do now? We multiply them. We don't divide them here, okay? But we ask somebody in that community group, now go start a new one or, or take a couple people from that community group and start a new community group. We have now multiplied the community group and now we can have an even bigger impact, right? It's multiplied in its effectiveness. We multiply community groups. We multiply leaders. We multiply ministries. We multiply missionaries. Do you know, as a church, okay, pre-COVID, we were averaging 350 to 375 in worship attendance on a Sunday. It's awesome. We've, we've had some growth here. What's really cool is that right now we have six different missionaries who consider this their home church. Do you realize that? Two of them right now, Kenton and Aaron Chan, are raising the funds so that they can get to Bolivia full-time. And I hope you guys all will uh, reach out and, and support them. We have raised our giving to all of those full-time missionaries this year, and we want to just continue to increase that giving. We're doing that. We want to increase church planting, too. Because if our church can make an impact, what if we had more churches like this that had a multiplication mindset? And we've done that a little bit now in the past, but we want to do that even more. We've quadrupled the amount of money we're giving to church planting this year. We want that to only continue. Because it's so important to have more churches, more disciples, more leaders, more missionaries. We've got to do that if we really want to make an impact. That's what someone like Beth Ann is doing, our missionary in Estonia. Estonia, if you don't know, is the most atheistic nation in the world. Beth Ann is there. Crick and Mindy Poirier, our other missionaries, are, are there. And Beth Ann started with a cooking ministry. She didn't know the language, so she would invite just a few middle school and high school girls over to her house to start cooking with her and teaching her the language through food. She started sharing the faith with them, and then some of them would come to Christ. And what's amazing now is that those people are leading cooking ministries. And now we're seeing generational multiplication, right? And what's amazing is Beth Ann's vision now that we've been given to is to see 2,000 youth in Estonia come to know Jesus Christ and hear the gospel. 2,000. She can't do that all alone on her own. She has to multiply like this. Now they're, they're trying to create multiple cooking ministries and generations of cooking ministry, and she cannot do all that on her own. But when she looks else, you know, to the next generation, the next generation, to train them up, make disciples who make disciples, that's the multiplication mindset, and she can do it. We're part of a movement 
Como Converge Worldwide, Beth Ann and the poor years and our missionaries, Dan and Melinda Nelson down in Mexico, are part of uh, this movement that were part of 1,400 churches across the country. And uh, Converge has really decided to focus on multiplication and specifically on unreached and unengaged people groups. What that means are people who have never heard the name of Jesus, that they don't have the Bible in their language. Now, um, I got to meet one of the, the guys in charge of this a couple of years ago. His name is Jerry Schomer. And they are, there are, by best estimates, 1,300 unreached people groups. That means not a single person in these 1,300 different people groups has ever heard the name of Jesus or believes in his name. And they're like, okay, we're going to go after these. And Jerry Schomer, with an initiative called the Timothy Initiative, you know, based on Paul and Timothy, has decided to focus on that. And when, when I heard him a few years ago, I mean, this guy would just blow your mind. He, you've never heard his name, and yet he's having a Billy Graham-type impact, like a Dawson Trotman-type impact in the world. Jerry Schomer has gone into Nepal, and, and he was traveling there in 2017, and he talked with one guy who was there because they were sending into one of the unreached people groups that up until um, just a few years ago had never heard the name of Jesus. It was the Kotwe people in one of the valleys of Nepal that is super hard to get to, right? <laughs> Near Kathmandu. So it's in this valley. There's 1,500, uh, I'm sorry, 15,000 people who live there in, in this Kotwe people group. And they sent one of their best missionaries there because they knew it was going to be tough. So they took one of these guys and they said, you're going to go in there. And after he had been there just a few years, he had seven people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now that's incredible. I mean, that's a lot. You can see this, this picture. This is the, the church planner with several of these people who had come to faith in, in the Kotwe people of Nepal. So he led them to faith, and Jerry Shomer visited them and, and was trying to talk with them, and he saw the seven people who had come to faith and then saw the 15,000 people who had yet to hear the name of Jesus in this people group, and he said, wow, to this young man who was the church planner, he said, wow, you've got a lot ahead of you. This is going to be really challenging. But that missionary had a multiplication mindset, and he said, no, no, no. It's going to be easy. These seven people are already all we need to reach all 15,000 people. He had a multiplication mindset. And the reason is because he had seen it in, happen in Nepal before that. What's amazing is through the Timothy Initiative, what they do is they find Pauls, people who are experienced church planters, who, have, who are leaders, and they take those Pauls and they use them to train and coach Timothys, right? So back in 2008, back in 2008 in the nation of Nepal, the Timothy Initiative through Converge had two, uh, I'm sorry, they had five Pauls and 20 Timothys in Nepal. 2008, five Pauls, 20 Timothys, which meant 2,000 people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. 2,000, which is pretty, pretty great at the time. That's 2008. For, fast forward 10 years, 2018. Now they have 200 Pauls, 4,000 Timothys, and 80,000 believers in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that's why this guy could go into the Cotway people group and say, we can do it with seven now. Because of a multiplication mindset. And this is happening all around the world, in Nepal, in China, places in Latin America and Africa. And I believe that God wants to see that happen here as well. And this is really hard for churches because churches naturally gravitate towards the retention mindset. Man, the world is dark right now. So many people are, are just embracing sin and, and evil. Our, our nation, look at it. Oh my gosh, all the terrible things that are happening. We've got to retain and keep hold of what's ours. We gotta keep our church going the way that it's been going. We gotta make sure that we don't lose our kids, okay? Just hold on to what we have. It's the retention mindset. And that's good. We definitely don't want the forces of darkness to take back any ground, right? But churches get stuck there. 
a few churches will become addition churches. And they will say, hey, let's do some outreach. Let's do bold outreach and let's see people come to faith. We'll share the gospel and see new people become believers and find eternal life. We'll get them baptized. Addition is amazing. The churches that are doing a mission, that's, that, that's so much greater than, than retention, right? But it's very few churches indeed who are having a multiplication mindset who are saying, no, we're going to take those people. Yes, we're going to keep doing retention. Yes, we're going to keep doing addition. But we're going to take those people we've added, raise them up in the faith, train them, and send them out so that they can be the church planters. They can be the missionaries. So they can go out into their businesses and lead people to Christ. And that we can raise up another generation after them. And that's the kind of church that I want a rise church to be. You know, I hope in my lifetime to preach to thousands and tens of thousands of people. I hope that many people will hear the good news, that many people will come to faith because of my ministry. But I think the greatest impact that I can have is through the people who maybe I don't even know yet because of who they're going to tell the good news to and who's going to be told in turn. Generation after generation after generation. It's multiplication. And that's what I want to be a part of, and that's what I want our church to be a part of as well. That's the multiplication mindset. So I hope that you guys are interested in this. If you're saying, Matt, I don't even know anything about my faith. I can't tell anybody. Like, my life's a mess. That's okay. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. We want to t- teach you and train you so that you can get to the point where you can help another person. And honestly, all you have to do is be like one step ahead of the person. Think about it. When you're hiking with someone on a, on a drink, you just have to be one step ahead to lead them, right? In fact, if you're too far ahead, they, they get lost. Okay, that, that, so it's good. We want to tr- teach you and train you so that you can help another person. Get in our community groups. We have some other ministries here. If you get plugged into a community group, we're going to encourage you and train you so that you can help another person. And then eventually you're going to see, hey, this is my role. I'm going to always have at least one person that I'm taking personal responsibility for their spiritual growth. And then I'll know that I have, uh, that person has graduated when they are having someone, when I have a spiritual grandchild. And that is going to instill the multiplication mindset in our church. And I believe we're going to have an even bigger impact than we could ever have with just retention. And even with addition. We need the multiplication mindset here. All right, so um, we're going to take communion together. It's the first Sunday of the month. We do this to remember Jesus because Jesus had a multiplication mindset. Have you thought about this? The multiplication mindset because Jesus, yes, he preached to crowds. That's good. Billy Graham stuff, evangelism, it's great. But what Jesus did was he focused on his 12 disciples. And at the end of his life, when he died, his disciples even ran away. He lost one of them completely, right? And yet, it's what changed the world. Um, Eugene Peterson, um, the, the pastor who as well died a couple of years ago, Eugene Peterson, once said that Jesus, it must be remembered, restricted nine-tenths of his ministry to 12 Jews because it was the only way to reach all Americans. Think about that. That's multiplication mindset because Jesus focused on 12. And after he focused on those 12, there was 120 when he ascended into heaven. And then a little while later, there was 3,000, and then 5,000. At the end of the first century, historians um, guess now that there was probably about 100,000 people who had become followers in Jesus. Today, over 2.5 billion people who claim the name of Christ. Multiplication. That's what Jesus practiced. And when he went on the cross and died for our sins, his body was broken, but he knew it was not just for us. We receive it so that we can pass it on to others. And that's what we're going to do today as we take the bread and we take the cup together. Sawyer's going to lead that in, in a minute. But I want you to think as you're taking this, you're having communion with Jesus, but this is what you have received as we passed on to others. Just as Jesus passed it on 
to us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to watch a video for the next series that's starting next Sunday. You better come back for it. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I pray that you would help our church not just retain people. We want to do that. We don't want to lose anyone in the faith. I pray that you'd help us not just to also be an addition church, Lord, that we'd see new people to come to faith, especially this Christmas with our, with our big, bold outreach that we're going to be trying. We want to see new people come to faith. But Lord God, even more than that, we want to be a multiplication church. We want to see exponential growth of the kingdom of God through what we are doing here as we pass it on from one person to the next to the next. Lord, would you help us make us know that it's not about us, but it's about who we are going to impact because of who they are going to impact. Lord God, give us a reach far beyond even the people we know. Lord God, I pray that you would make us a church, make us individuals of a multiplication mindset, and we could truly see the kingdom of God grow exponentially here in Denver and around the world. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.